Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. How's everybody doing? What week, what week of quarantine are we in now? Like week five? Something like uh, that? I don't know. Is it 73? Something? I don't, I don't know. Day, what day 73? <laughs> oh, day 73. I don't know, man. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what day it is, what month week it is 10. at this point? <laughs> Who knows? Who cares? We're still right. putting out podcasts, right? We're keeping yeah. some regularity in people's lives. Yeah. Actually. But you know when Wednesday is. Actually, some big news to report. My quarantine has just begun, actually. They finally rotated my work group. And so the people that have been at home getting paid finally had to come in, and it's my turn, baby. So I'm off Hell right yeah. now. It's, it's quite Soak fantastic. It up, dude. I don't know, understand why everybody's nice. bitching about this quarantine. <laughs> I'm like one day in. Like, this, <laughs> this is fine. <laughs> no, this is great. This is nice. I don't even miss friends. Yeah, yeah give it a few days. But you right. Talk live to me out. in the next episode. I'll be just like pulling my hair out. Right, just one week later. Especially but with two kinda, two toddlers, I mean, basically. Yeah, but you live out in the out away from everybody, yeah. anyways. But having that having that work day every day creates some distance, right? It makes your heart grow a little fonder for home every day. But when yeah. you're at home every day, it's only human nature. No matter how great your house is or how much you love your family, you're going to get tired of that shit. That's just how humans are. We just yeah, get actually, tired of the same are, thing. Are, are, our our manager warned us those of us that were now going home. He was just like, you know, have you know, be, have a good time at home, but at the same time, just remember those walls start to close in on you. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, you can go outside, man. Go out on that back porch. Yeah, we've already been on a few hikes there. and stuff. We're not going to just sit inside oh, yeah. all day. Hell so. no, not not us either, dude. You seen? Oh, you seen the Snapchats I send you? We're out. We're out in the woods. We're walking. We built yeah. a baseball field. I mean. You just gotta you gotta get out. It's still social distancing. I'm still just with my family, but you know we're blessed to have an area where we can get out and get some fresh air. You know, get a little get away from the house. No doubt. Uh, happy 420 to all the stoners out there. We're actually recording yeah, on 420, 420 right everybody. now. It's, I, I feel like we record every 420 by accident. I don't know if it's ever intentional, but mm. it well, just kind of happens. Well, it's last, just fate. I don't know. Let's see. Last year would have been on a what I guess a Sunday. Yeah, so, so we would have recorded. Sense. We would have right? recorded, right? Yep. And today's a Monday. We don't normally record on Monday. It just so happened that way because I, I my just quarantine so has just begun. And uh, yeah, why not? We didn't have anything to do. Yeah. It's perfect. Per- this is gonna be the best four twenty ever. Now that I think about it, <laughs> this is how this is how four twenty is supposed to be. Everybody just stay at home, get high, and hang out. Right. Yeah. Oh my God! I, so <laughs> there actually there's there's this gas station. Um, just outside of Las Vegas, it, it's actually on a, a Native American reservation, and there's a 24-hour drive-through dispensary there that's attached. And the yeah. day after that, all of the uh, the government checks went out. Everyone's uh, packed, wasn't it? Yeah. It, oh my God, the line was all the way up to the freeway. It was unbelievable. The day after those, <laughs> the day after the uh, uh, the money went out to everybody, they were they were all in line because I mean they're not working. You know, they just yeah. got a nice check from the government or they got a nice yeah. deposit, digital deposit into their account and they're just like buying it up. That's, I'm glad I had some marijuana stock. I'll tell you that. That's like <laughs> one of the only stocks that are going up right now. <laughs> I have stock in a dispensary Dude, in town it. and it's, it's doing well now. Uh, I'd be so pissed going to that dispensary on that day though because I know all the good shit's already gone. Oh, yeah. I know it is. You're, you're stuck with that shit that's been sitting in the jar on the shelf. The Snickle Fritz. Yeah. You're stuck with that reg, that reggie. That's what we call it down south. We call it that reg. I don't want none of that reg, bro. What if your name was Reggie? You're like, damn it. 
How did I end up God with this? <laughs> it's not my fault. Why couldn't I be named like Dank or something? I grow oh. good weed. What if your pot dealer's name was Reggie? He's just like, bro, I swear I don't have the Reg. Uh, bro, listen, I don't have the Reg. Dude, it's your name, okay? I'm, I'm going to find somebody else. No, no, it's it's nothing personal. I just... All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to my buddy named Dank over here. Right. I'm going to... Oh, Dank Dan over here. <laughs> All right, guys. Oh, Are we ready to dump, jump into it before we get one start again? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's not really that big of a sacrifice, right? Because we get the one star, and then a couple people have to come in because they don't to want defend us to us, stop yeah. doing the banner, right? Because they, right. they're like, oh, no, don't stop doing the banner. It's like, listen, guys, we're not going to stop doing it. What are we, almost four years in? We're not going to stop now. Like, this is, this, is, this is what you get when you tune in. This is what you get. So It's very rare that our pre-show banter goes beyond five minutes anymore. It used to be like our first yeah. 10 episodes. We were real bad. It was like 20 minutes. But we, we learned yeah. after getting one start enough times to shorten it up a little bit. That's the right, thing, too. New know. people. We've talked about it. But new people that discover our show go back and listen to our first couple episodes when we were still figuring things out. We're like a baby giraffe trying to figure out how to walk properly, you know? And then right. they go and fucking like one stars. It's like, around. we have 100 episodes. Why don't you go to one of the newer ones and see if the shit you're complaining about has been fixed yet? Because I guarantee it fucking has. Right. Exactly. And also, when you're first starting out, you kind of have, whether you like it or not, you kind of have pre-show jitters. So yeah. it helps to talk through things. It helps to get into a conversation because... You got to talk long enough to forget the mics are there. Yep. And once you forget the mics are there, then then you're podcasting. That's and it takes point. longer at the beginning, you know? Yep. No doubt. You're very aware of the fact that everything you're saying is being recorded. That That's kind of weird and you got to get past that. And then at a certain exactly. point, you just turn on the... Now we turn on the mics and we forget immediately or we just don't right. give a shit. That's another just thing. Don't, just don't give a shit. Yeah, it's all, it's all good, man. But yeah, it takes time. It takes time. If you're starting a podcast, don't get discouraged. It really does. It's it's a process, learning how to talk, especially talk to yourself. I would actually recommend like if you're starting a podcast, podcast, don't even post the first few. Just like record a few episodes and then bank them and, and yeah. just get used to the whole vibe of recording. And then and then maybe someday after you've established your show and you've got listeners and stuff, you could release those as kind of like a, a bonus thing. Like, yeah, these are our first couple of episodes. They were rough. Here you go. Like, yeah. And also, it's nice to uh, something I like to do is when I record something I'm not sure about, I'll just like I'll put it in a Dropbox and then I'll just send it to a few people that I trust their opinion mm-hmm. of or whatever, and just be like, hey, when you get a chance, listen to this. Let me know what you think. You know, someone who knows you. Right. Sometimes that's not good because you're putting off a different personality, but overall, I think that's a good way to to test your podcast out and get and get some feedback and maybe some encouragement. Right. You know, instead of just sitting on it, going, hmm, I wonder if I should release this. Is this good enough? All right. All right. There you go. Podcast advice. Well. On the, on the intro. We got a fun episode this week. This this case is kind of d- built for us. I f- I'm surprised we haven't it done is. it yet. Um, and I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard of this guy, the Barefoot Bandit. But if you yeah. haven't, you're in for a treat because this is a hell of a ride that and he went on. And also don't call him that anymore. <clears throat> he doesn't oh, like yeah. that anymore. A little sensitive about it. I don't understand that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just I embrace it. Dope, it was bro. what it was. If this... Oh, man, if this was part of my legacy, you best believe I'm going to embrace it. It's like the Andy Dalton thing, not embracing the red rifle. It's like, dude, like you got red hair and you got a fucking cannon arm. You're a quarterback in the NFL. Totally just embrace that. That would literally legally change my name to the red rifle if I were him. I don't understand what his fucking problem is. Yeah, that makes no sense. Why not? That Those are the type of things that make you a legend. Those are the type of things that add to your legacy and make it easy for you to never be forgotten. Why would you not want that? Don't be sensitive about it. Right. 
own it, especially if it's a positive thing, something that makes you almost like a folk hero, like in Colton's, in Colton's, not almost, he is a folk hero. He He's is. a modern day folk hero. No, no joke. No doubt. And he didn't kill anybody. So we can actually embrace that a little bit. That's right. That's you know, right. not that I'm a fan of breaking into people's homes, but let's, we'll dive into that. Yeah. Let's hear the intro. All right, let's do it. And the former fugitive known as the Barefoot Bandit says he's trying to get back in the air, legally this time. That's Colton Harris Moore. He was but a teen when he broke out of, ju- out of juvie and led cops on a cat and mouse cha- chase across the United States into the Caribbean. Police said he stole cars and boats and planes. Oh, my. He did a lot of it without wearing any footwear, hence the name. Finally got caught in the Bahamas. Everyone does. Now that we're caught up, Colton Harris Moore is 25 years old, says he wants to get his pilot's license. In fact, he started a GoFundMe page to pay for private and commercial training. The Barefoot Bandit says his career hopes are just on pause and that he wants a career in flying. Pay back the money. Fly, Colton, fly. Cause freedom was always in the sky. Fly, Colton, fly. His mama tried, tried her best to raise him right. Wait, that's a lie. She was the problem the whole time. He was in the news. You know the white boy with no shoes. He was in the news. Didn't worry about leaving clues. No worries about breaking the rules. Did I mention he did it all? Did it all with no shoes. Fly, Colton, fly. His freedom was always in the sky. His mama tried. Tried her best to raise him right. Wait, that's a lie. She was the problem the whole time. Poor Colton tried. But it was time for him to fly. Fly. All right, our case this week is a guy by the name of Colton Harris Moore, or we could almost say kid by the name of Colton Harris Moore, because at the time he was a teenager that he went on this legendary crime spree, uh, theft spree, carjacking, plane jacking, home invading craziness. Jesus, epic yeah. adventure. Mainly um, just to fly a plane, it seemed, or at least that's what he wants to portray. I think he was having a little more fun than just flying planes, but... Yeah, he tried to say, like, this wasn't a fun time in his life and whatnot, and I understand yeah. it. It was probably lonely often, you know, and a lot of it was a means to an end for him who who came up in a very, very, very uh, poor, he had a very poor upbringing, came right. from poverty, mom lived in a trailer, his dad was non-existent for most of his life. Um, and abusive when he was there. Yeah, and his mom was verbally abusive, and I, I don't know, I didn't see much about her being physically abusive, but demeaning him, and she was an alcoholic, and just, yeah, just not not great upbringing on his part, and uh, he always looked around and saw what he didn't have, and at a certain point, he just decided to go out and take it, stuff yep. that, I think a lot of what, like the home break-ins and whatnot, it seemed as though he just wanted to experience what he didn't get to have, you know, like he, he didn't go in and vandalize homes. He would go in and kind of like live in them. They were vacation homes nine out of 10 times that he yeah, would break like, into. And he like was just take a shower, getting, eat some ice cream. Yeah. Getting to experience <laughs> like a, you know, what like a rich kid would get, I guess. I don't know. Right. Yeah. It seemed very, 
it seemed not necessarily innocent, but it did in a way. Like mm-hmm. innocent comes to mind because, like you said, he never he never intended on hurting anybody. He never broke in if there were people there if he could help it. Right. I think there was one instance where someone actually saw him in their house and he had well, no idea that someone he, was there. He had been but, in there. There was one instance where he he has, he was in a vacation home and the and the family showed up to the vacation home and he was inside actually naked, which we'll talk about. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, I think Literally you're right. He, he was he was not breaking into occupied homes with putting no. people at danger and all that stuff. Which when you're breaking into someone's home, I've I've gone on rants about this. I've had my home broken into before, and it's the worst. I, I can't say the worst feeling, but it's a terrible feeling, no doubt. And uh, I'm totally, I, I am so vehemently against breaking into other people's properties. Yeah. You know? Um, just stealing things that aren't yours, man. I mean, it's just. Yeah, just, just yeah, being in someone else's space that they own is just, I, 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 if you've ever had something stolen from you or had your house broken into or even your car broken into, you know the feeling. It's so violating. It's just brutal. And yeah. so, like, I, I don't know. Maybe if he had had that done to him, he might feel differently about it. But, uh, I know that this is as innocent as it gets as far as home burglary, but it's still a home burglary. But we'll go, we'll go through all that. Um, right. So Col- Colton Harris Moore is an American fugitive. He was charged with the theft of hundreds of thousands of dollars in property, including several small aircrafts, boats, multiple cars, and the burglaries of at least 100 private residences in various locations around the Pacific Northwest and adjacent areas of Canada, all committed while still only a teenager. Yeah, so he started very early on and it, it it's a lot to do with the fact that he had nothing early on and he just kind of learned right. to fend for himself he's almost like you know, a george of the jungle type of character more often than not he was living in the woods alone as a kid and like that's that's where he was most comfortable i'd say that he was barefoot 90 percent of the time which is how he got the barefoot bandit moniker i think that he right preferred to not wear shoes just so he could be quieter running through the woods you know i don't know that makes sense. And he's also a giant too. Can't forget yeah, he's that. A big I mean, kid. six five, two hundred as a teenager. Like he's a giant. Yeah, when by the age of seventeen, he was six he five, two hundred pounds. Crazy. Yes. That's a massive child right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so he was born uh, March twenty second, nineteen ninety one. He shares a birthday with Reese Witherspoon and JJ Watt. Ooh, a couple of superstars. Yeah, Reese, you know what? Yeah. Good actress. Uh, but all I can think about now with her is that whole incident where she got pulled over and she pulled the Do You Know Who I Am card. That just Every time I think of her name, I just think of that. Sadly, that's going to follow her forever. I think uh, she'd been yeah, but drinking or something. I don't know. Don't you think every actor and actress has had that situation? It's just not everybody's got publicized. To be you know fair, I mean? if you are Reese Witherspoon, you know that cop knows who she is. Who doesn't know who Reese Witherspoon is? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, don't play coy. You know who I am. I'm fucking Reese Witherspoon. Right. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, not that I don't deserve a ticket, but I'm just just saying, you do know who I am, right? I mean, okay. You know who I am. You know, this is like I could wipe my ass with the ticket money. I have made millions from movies. I think I may have dropped that money in between my seat here. Let me just see if it's... (laughs) Right. Yeah, this should should cover it. (laughs) Right. And then uh, good old J.J. Watt, multiple-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year, beast of yeah. a human being and also a badass guy just like a really good guy that helps the community that he's in in houston and yeah yeah one of the one of the good guys in the nfl no doubt about it except for this new show he's doing it looks retarded ultimate oh, tag have you seen I, this i didn't know he had a new show no oh well let me enlighten you real quick uh yeah he's got a show on i'm not even sure it's on one of like the major networks like major mm-hmm. local networks i think and it's um it's called ultimate tag and it's exactly what you would think. He's a host. 
<laughs> he's a host, right? And then one other guy, I can't remember who it is. And you got people like running around this big obstacle course in like helmets and shoulder pads or something. Not even shoulder pads. I think they're just like chest gear or something. They look like they're playing extreme laser tag with no guns. And they're just what? running around like trying to tag each other. Like just touch each other? Just it. That's it. Then why tag, do they need man. all the pads if they're just touching each other? I don't understand. Dude, the obstacle course is intense. Oh. You, know, you got to climb oh, up shit, okay. swing on ropes, jump on like columns and shit. Uh, you know what? It's, it's very intense. You know what network television is trying to do when they need to just beat around, the, quit beating around the bush and just do it? They're trying to recreate American Gladiator, which is everyone loved back in the day. Yeah, and they why not just, just I know, do it? I know, I think they tried to come back out with it again, but I mean, they should have stuck with it if they just. How do you not like American Gladiator? That that show was right. the shit. The characters in it, they were all roided up. You know, they had names like Laser and all that. <laughs> like you, you, you maybe peep, there's people out there that are like in their early twenties that listen to this, or even in their teenage, and they don't have no idea. Go look up YouTube American Gladiator back in the day. It was like the early nineties, I think, was when it yeah. was huge. That show was the shit. And with all these, uh, all these new shows where everybody's like climbing walls and swing on ropes and shit, they just need to. Like just American bring back Ninja American Warrior. Gladiators. That's what we're all wanting. Yeah. yeah. They might as well do that. It's already been done, and it was at its, yeah, like you said, it was at its best level then. Yeah. It's like these these things aren't going to catch on. This right. is like all these little all these little weak sequels that they're trying to make of American Gladiator. With like a, even American Ninja Warrior. I'm like, who gives a shit? Yeah. Who cares? Like the only time I ever watched it was when they had celebrities on there. They're just corny-ass CrossFit people. It's yeah. like... Who cares? I, I mean, it's cool that you can do that. I'm not saying that that life and that training is not useful. Like, it's their bodies are in amazing shape. I get it. But it's just not fun to watch. No. Like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. But, yeah. So, uh, J.J. Watt's doing that now. So, hmm. Stick to the NFL, buddy. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, back to Colton. He was, he was born in Mount Vernon, Washington in 1991. He grew up in his mother's trailer on Kamano Island. Kamano Island? Is it Kamano? Because we're going to say that a lot. I think it's Kamano I probably should have looked up the pronunciation if we were going to do an episode where we talk, said Kamano or Kamano a million times. I think it's Just Kamano. in case somebody lives there. I think it's what they, they said mad. in the dock, right? They said Kamano on the dock. Okay, Kamano. Kamano oh, Island. speaking of the dock, uh, the documentary that, that we watched amazing. for this was called Fly, Colton, Fly, The True Story Behind the Barefoot Bandit. It was based on a book, actually, called The Barefoot Bandit, or no, called Fly, Fly Colton, Fly. There's a book of it as well. Uh, we watched the documentary, which you can find on Amazon Prime, um, and watch it for free on there. I think it's also on YouTube. You can it find is. it on there too. That is correct. But, Amazing so, documentary, dude! It's intense. Oh, it's so cool the way they did it. It's half animated, yes. half animation, and half like live action. There's some uh, even uh, like non-animated recreations, right? And then there's also interviews right. with people who uh, knew Colton and people who were ripped off by Colton, you know, like owners of the yep. planes that he stole and stuff like that. People who helped Colton, uh, yeah. you know, unintentionally, but they helped him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, the so stoner guys, interviews. the stoner yeah, musicians. The guys that were in the band. They were <laughs> yeah. probably like, yeah, we'll be in your dock if you'll let us play at least one song. Right. All right, whatever, what the fuck. Get your, get your guitars out. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, definitely, definitely a, f- a fun watch, man. Like, if you haven't seen Fly, Colton, Fly, or I'm sure the book's just as good as well, um, if you're yeah, more of a doc, book person. But I mean, that doc is just, it's just, I've, I've never said this about a documentary, but it's action-packed. I mean, but that's how his life yeah. was for those two yeah. years. It was just one crazy stunt after the next. 
and it's, it's one of those things where it's ride. like you think you think you've it's it, okay I, I get it and then he does something else you're like Jesus this thing is still going like when he yep. when he f- makes that uh, final flight south you're like that really blew my mind I'm like I because I I had heard of this guy before and briefly studied it but I forgot that he went down to the Bahamas like <laughs> it's like oh I know right what the fuck crazy he, he was crazy dude he yeah. i mean and but he lived in a time where we had gps and stuff like that too you know and the kid yeah. was the kid was just very smart i mean he was he was smart already mm-hmm. so I still think, is uh, very smart he's actually walking yeah. the streets now he's free 100 free now he is and he's done some interviews and and just this within a minute of hearing him talk you realize oh this is a very smart individual and he always Absolutely. has been. He he didn't even uh, he dropped out of high school. You know what I mean? But he was just one of those self taught, really smart people who didn't waste any time. Like he's not the. You get the vibe. This kid never played video games in his life. He was always outside or reading a book or what. What he was just like learning life shit all the time. Dude, he probably didn't have any video games, dude. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I mean, I guess that's part of it is that he just never had anything to distract him from. He would just—he probably was like a borderline survivalist at like eight years old because he was wanted. Why would he want to sit around his mom's shitty trailer with her drinking and smoking and you know insulting him and whatnot? She, she, his home life reminded me of the movie Eight Mile, with you know that whole the whole every scene that Eminem was with his mom in the trailer and she was like had that love. You could tell she loved him, but at the same time it was just like brutal. You know what I mean? Yeah. One minute she's she's making him pancakes, the next minute she's like letting some asshole she brought home beat the shit out of him, you know? Yep. Or Eminem's beating the shit out of him, I guess. But at the same time, like Right. Well, you know that didn't happen when he was younger though. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's uh th- he had a rough life, man, for sure. I mean, he he broke he did his first burglary when he was ten that they know about. He got caught. Yeah. That's when he burglary finally got caught. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So um yeah, so he grew up on Camano Island. Uh, neighbors said that they made several calls to CPS, uh, re- believing that he was neglected or abused. So the neighbors in the trailer park where he grew up saw so much craziness coming from there, and they they had actually called CPS a few times on his mom. His father, Gordon Moore, used drugs and was in prison while Colton was a toddler. His stepfather died when he was about seven years old, and from the time Colton was in the first grade, his mother knew there was, some, quote, something off about him. And there was, quote, sort of a dis- disconnection. She later said that some kids just can't be steered in a, in a in the right direction, that they're just right. too crazy. And that's that's her defense is that, you know, no matter how much parenting she did, he was going to be the way he was. He was just one of those wild teenagers or yeah. young kids. I think that may be true after a certain point, but I don't think second grade is that point. And I think, you know I th- maybe, saying? yeah, I think you're right. I think it, by the time he was a teenager, she, there was no way she was going to stop him from no, that's doing it. what he was doing. Especially not his but size. She, I think she created, she helped, she really helped to create the teenager that was unable to be, you know, corralled. Like, had she shown more love and had the trailer that he grew up in not been chaos all the time, or had right. she worked and, and brought home more food so that he could eat and not have to go steal it. Like things like that he learned at a young age. There was no turning back at a certain point. He had learned how to go out and make his own way. And she right. wasn't gonna stop him by the time he was over six foot, you know, like it was just, Yeah, exactly. Good and luck. it wasn't like she um on purpose taught him this behavior or this lifestyle. I think it was just the neglect. Yeah. And, and he taught the, himself the, this that, behavior. 
Exactly. That neglect that neglect created the necessity in his life. Mm-hmm. And with necessity, you have invention. And the kid's gonna invent different ways to get what he wants. To have we can fun. we can then, we can actually even relate this to Tiger King, which is still huge right now. But like the difference between a domesticated tiger and a and a wild tiger, the tiger in the wild is learned to go out and hunt and kill and is wild because it has to. It's a necessity. That's kind of like like young Colton, you know, there was nothing provided for him. So he went out and, and learned to provide like a wild animal as right. opposed to the domesticated animal that's had some meat thrown in front of him and he just lays there and eats it. And then he just becomes domesticated. He was exactly the equivalent right. of a wild tiger at a certain point because he just, he had to go, learn to go out and take things because he wasn't given anything. Oh yeah. Nice analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime we can shoehorn in Joe Exotic, right? We got to do it. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Can't hurt. So as uh, in regards to this disconnection uh, that his mother uh, talked about, he wouldn't listen to his teachers, started altercations at school, and would sometimes deliberately break things around the house. According to a court-ordered psychiatric evaluation, Moore said that his mother drank and became mean, breaking his possessions. So she was also that type of way. What was the serial killer we just did where his mother was uh, the chicken farmer, where his mother would deliberately... Ruin oh, things Michael that Ross. the kids loved. Yeah, Michael Ross's mom would yeah. would burn things and and break things that the kids loved just to kind of like just to be cruel. And I, I yeah, guess that was a little bit off. of that to Colton's mom too. Right. Um, he started living in the wild at the age of seven and would break into vacation homes in the area, stealing blankets, food, and water before disappearing into the forest for days. So it's it's very George of the Jungle or. Uh, <laughs> It's the cave. I almost picture him wearing a loincloth, like running around, like barefoot, <laughs> this kid breaking into homes and stealing food, you know? Yeah, you're not far off. What did he wear typically? Like a t-shirt and some camo shorts, yeah. I think, is was his was his favorite outfit. And the camo shorts weren't even like, like camo that you would use for the woods. They were like gray. It was like gray and yeah. white camo. Yeah, like I, cargo shorts. Pretty interesting. Yeah, I figured he would have stole like <clears throat> some, some camouflage, like full camouflage clothes. Mm-hmm. At some point, but he never did. Well, he actually, he started ordering uh, army army gear and stuff with people's credit cards and having them delivered to the houses and businesses where he would break into them and, and then get the packages that he had ordered for himself. <laughs> That's yeah, when he started like having better gear. gear yeah, was later like on when he goggles and stuff yeah, like that, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Colton's father, Gordon Moore, has mostly been absent from his life, but when Colton was twelve, uh, Gordon was convicted of assault by after choking young Colton. Colton told a child services worker that his mother, Pam, was outraged at him for calling 911 after his father had choked him. So mm. very much, I mean, how, how as a mother do you see your, your little boy get choked by, by a man and then you, you're mad at the boy for defending himself and calling 911? That's Because you're a selfish bitch and you're concerned yeah. about your life and how your husband's mm-hmm. going to retaliate against you now. Yep. Yeah, that's that was that was the that's right? the, this exactly what reminded me of Eight Mile. You know how his mother yeah. was mad when he ruined the relationship with that guy because he was he was being a cruel individual and Eminem beat his ass, and she's yeah. all pissed at Eminem for you know scaring him away. He was about to get some insurance check or something. <laughs> Very similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it, this is a white trash story here, really. I mean, yeah. Uh, Colton's best friend was a, new, a, a kid named Harley Davidson. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, that's the community he, he was living in is this trailer park. Um, right, shortly right. after that, his father walked out after an argument at a family barbecue and wouldn't return. Colton had nowhere to turn. As one caseworker wrote, Colt, uh, quote, 
Colton wants mom to stop drinking and get a job and have food in the house. Mom refuses. Quote, Pam cho- chose beer over everything and it ruined his life, said Jacqueline Staggs, who has, been, uh, who has known Pam since Colton was born. So this, this woman knew Pam and she was even saying these things as far as her, uh, her priorities were beer over everything else. Wow. And dude, you know what's funny? In the doc, I remember her specifically saying that her ex-husband, her ex-husband didn't right? Like, he didn't like living out in where they lived out in the country because it was too far from beer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, seems like you need it just as bad. You're probably yeah. pissed you don't have a beer runner anymore. Yep. And if you need any more evidence as to how much Pam loved beer, uh, we find out at some point that Colton's name came from the malt liquor Colt 45, oh, which no. is some true white trash alcohol, man. That's like what, what homeless people in Vegas drink. That's because it's cheap oh, and it gets you really bro. fucked up. You get a man yeah. can of Colt 45. Hey, dude, or a 40. I've had a 40 of that shit yeah. right there, bro. We, oh, my God. You're in a jam session. You want a hangover? Oh, you, yeah. You'll be good to go, though, for that night. But, yeah, yeah the next morning's going to be a tough one. Right. I can just picture her, like, t- <laughs> just talking to her husband or whoever at the time. What do we got to name him? <laughs> it just looks over in the corner. There's like 40 Colt 45 bottles. I don't know. How about Colt? Colt 45 or two zigzags. Baby, that's right. all we need. It's amazing. Isn't it amazing how he turned out? Because you really think she went completely sober while she was pregnant with him? Maybe. I'm not I'm not putting that on her. I'm just saying. Are you talking about just how smart he is? Like, yeah. man. It is crazy, right? I mean, is he not? Is he not like a freaking stereotype myth buster? This kid, for real. Like, he had everything go wrong. Yeah, he had he had terrible parents that, in from what I can tell, are not that very not that intelligent, you know, not that successful. And then he comes out with an IQ of one thirty something, and he's huge and healthy and lives on his own and finds yep. his own ways. Like I taught just, himself to fly airplanes, taught himself to fly an airplane man. by living in the woods and reading manuals. Like what the fuck? I'm telling you out of adversity, Joe Rogan has said it like a million times yeah. out of adversity. The best people come and pressure, pressure makes diamonds, right? Yeah, I guess. It or does. Well, in you can go one case, of either way. You can go one of two ways. You know, you can go down the, the, the easy, the, the path that, everyone would expect when you have a terrible things happen to yeah. you when you're young, you can either continue down the terrible path and make the decisions that you've seen happen around you all the time, which is understandable. Or yeah. sometimes, a lot, sometimes it creates some of the greatest people we've ever known and just coming from horrible upbringings. Agreed. Agreed. A hundred percent. I think, I think that's rare. Colt's case is still super rare. I'm not saying like this happens all the time. I, I think that he he's definitely a rare specimen. I think most people are going to go the path of least resistance, which is doing exactly what you've been taught your entire life. Yeah. Because you see you it on display uh, with the NFL drafts. Actually, that's this week. Uh, it's draft week. I love the NFL draft. I'm a draft nerd, and I've been looking into some of the prospects. and And a lot of the top prospects in the first round have had. You hear their story. Like we, we're hearing them this week because you know it's like building up to the first round picks and everybody learns about these guys. And, and one of the young, I actually saw a video of one of the young prospects, um, Utor Gross Matos, who's a pass rusher, I believe from Penn state, but his upbringing, man, it almost made me tear up just hearing the thing. When he was one, he was uh, out on a boat with his father and his, he fell out of the boat and his father jumped in to save him, saved him and his father drowned in doing oh my so. God. Yeah. And then his, his brother was struck by lightning and killed. 
I was just like, holy shit, how can like so much bad stuff happen to one person, you know? Oh, I tell you what, though, if with two deaths like that in my family, I would seriously turn my life around or start praying to somebody because that's some weird shit. Yeah, it's made him one hell of a a football player because I think he plays in their memory and like wants to make them proud. You know, that's a lot of times what you hear from these guys. Yeah. 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 Pretty crazy. That's Um, motivation. Yeah. So Colton's first conviction for stolen property came at the age of 12 in 2003 when police found a neighbor's camera recorder in his home. And by the, time, by the time he was 13, he had three, three more convictions. He had been diagnosed with depression and ADD during this time. Um, a pretty standard. Uh, who didn't get de- diagnosed? Yeah, with who ADD didn't get ADD in like in the late it's 90s, like, early 2000s? If you were kind of a over energetic kid, you were just immediately right. had, to, had a riddle in thrown at you. They passed that shit out like witch accusations back in mm-hmm. the Salem days. <laughs> it's like everybody's fucking ADD. Because they're trying to sell those pills, man. That's right, so, bro. They're Riddling the drug, de- the best, like, the biggest yeah. drug dealers in the, con- in the country were the pharmaceutical companies. Still are. Yep. Um, Colton's former partner in crime and self-described brains of the operation was a kid by the name of Harley Davidson Ironwing. Oh, I <laughs> love it. an epic name. <laughs> God, Ironwing. Jesus. Uh, you know what's funny? It's actually Honda motorcycles that use wing at the end of the name, which is yeah. kind of funny. Yeah, but that was just their last name that they were given, so they had to correct that and throw Harley Harley Davidson before it, oh. you know? Yeah, they're like, we ain't no Honda people. Right. <laughs> Only drive American. <laughs> right. <laughs> Stars and bars, baby. Stars and bars, baby. Harley, get your <laughs> ass over here. Right. Um, <laughs> Harley claims that he had introduced Colt to the world of home burglary and auto theft. Um, well, just because he was a little older, right? Yeah. He was a little older than Colt, but only like a year or two. Colt was way better at it, let's be honest. Colt was way better at it. Yep. Yeah. He, because once the, it was, I mean, he may have introduced Colt to it, and maybe shown him a few ropes, but it wasn't long before Colt was running the show between right. them two. Anytime they teamed up, it was pretty much, Colt was in charge, and that was pretty obvious. And that could have just been a size thing, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Har- Harley wasn't a very big guy, so... And so each conviction that uh, that Colton had early on brought a 10-day stint at a detention center or a community service. His mother once said, quote, every time he had anything good, everyone thought he stole it. What good? Do, what does that do to a kid? It's, I think that's just so silly of her to say because anything good that he had, he did steal because you never gave him anything. Because <laughs> you never bought him anything. Right? Like, you created that. Um Yeah. By 2006, Colton was 15, more than six foot tall, and wanted by the law. He ate food where he could, stealing from vacant houses, and spent months from the cops and hiding from the cops in the woods, in vacation homes, and even a treehouse at a neighbor's property. The citizens and police were sick of it. Acting on a tip, deputies went to his mother's house to arrest him and found found uh, was not that Colt had left for his mother, which read, uh, "Quote: Cops want to play, huh? Well, it's no little game. It's war, and tell them that." So. He had been there, left a note for the cops, um, and it was he. They, he was they were on the hunt for him again. They he just he really made the cops look bad. I think that was their biggest fear, and it, it just came to reality over and over again. Mm-hmm. Is that he just made them look silly? Um, yeah, it was like the ultimate game of hide and seek. Yeah, I mean, in this big area with someone who's constantly moving, it's like typically when you're looking for a fugitive, they I think they go to a few safe places, especially a child, right, or a kid. Even if they are a teenager, I think they're going to still go to a few places where mm-hmm. they feel safe. They're not just going to 
they're not just going to wander out in the middle of nowhere, right? Out in out in the wilderness and hoping that they can make it or stumble upon what they need. And that's exactly what Colt did. He was unpredictable. He gives some gives some uh, clout to the idea of Bigfoot being real, maybe because I mean he they knew most of the time they knew he was in like this one mile radius within from uh, from his mom's trailer in the dense woods of Washington. Um, but mm-hmm. they couldn't find him. You know what I mean? Like he, they knew he was in there, but the, yeah. those woods are so thick and dense and he's sitting in there quietly hiding and he can hear them coming and he's barefoot and he can just take off and disappear yep. in a moment's notice. Right. Imagine if, if most people didn't even think you were real and they weren't even looking for you, how easy it would be to hide. Right. Right. Yep. Dude, Bigfoot's in there, bro. If anyone would know whether Colton was or whether uh, Bigfoot was real or not, it'd be Colton. He spent more time in the woods alone, <laughs> quietly hanging out in there than anyone else, and that's that's up in the Pacific Northwest where Bigfoot's known to to walk about. Shit, they're probably his footprints. Right, Damn, six foot five, <laughs> has big ass feet, size nineteen foot. <clears throat> yeah, it's probably him that's leaving the damn Bigfoot. Right. <laughs> we solved the Bigfoot case all in one. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, so in February of 2007, after several narrow escapes from the law, Colton broke into a house while the owner was out of town. A neighbor saw a light on and called the police. And after a tense two-hour standoff, Colton was finally arrested. He didn't seem to like the media attention. He was uh, ended up being sentenced to three years in the juvie system. Uh, this was his first arrest, in, which resulted in more than a month behind bars. So this is the first time that he was given more than a slap on the wrist. He was actually given a three-year sentence. Um, mm-hmm. However, they, they basically put him in a halfway house, not like a jail, you know. So right. just one year later in April 2008, he climbed out of the window of the halfway house and the chase was back on. And this was this was the moment. Escaping that halfway house was the starting point for Colton's legendary two-year theft spree and constant evasion of the law. This is what made him famous as the, band, the barefoot bandit. He was kind of known yep. in the area at the time. Um, up up in Washington, but like he became nationally known during this two year spree, <clears throat> and uh, so Wait, we'll go through. Shit gets real. Yeah, so we'll go through some of the main events of this two year spree that he went on. On July eighteenth, two thousand eight, he crashed a stolen car into El- Elger Bay Grocery. A backpack with evidence was found, including a stolen digital camera, which he had used to snap a, a selfie. Um, an image that would be spread around the world. It's the famous image of him laying on his back in the woods. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> He's wearing a Mercedes polo shirt. Did you notice that? Was he? I didn't I notice where that, no. he got no. that polo from. He probably stole that from, because uh, I know there was a he house. Stole, that stole it from a rich and, vacation uh, home, for sure. No, yeah, remember him and Harley in the documentary. I know Harley's done come and gone from, from our timeline, but yeah. when him and Harley were together, there was this one specific vacation home they would hit and they would take this mercedes out on a ride oh and they would wash it and fill it up with gas and bring it back (laughs) yes yes they would wash it and fill it up with gas park it right back where it was put everything back i bet they got those i bet he got that mercedes shirt from that guy oh for sure having all that time the guy got that shirt when he bought the car right the dealership gave him a free t-shirt with his ninety thousand (laughs) dollar car purchase (laughs) honey i'm going golfing today have you seen my mercedes polo right no (laughs) You, oh, you know, it's funny though. Was Harley's selfie. son of a bitch? <laughs> Harley's vibe went when regards to that with with them stealing that Mercedes and filling it up. He acted like, "How could anyone be mad? We filled it up and we cleaned it." It's like you broke into someone's house, you stole their car, and took it for joy rides. Like, yeah. I mean, that's that's. I guess it's it's cool that you filled it up and stuff, but I mean, yeah, why well, bother at the, that point when you're driving around in their car? 
Yeah. Well, that's a thief's frame of mind, right? Yeah. I mean, they're like, we took it. No one knew. We could have done nothing, but we decided to put gas in it. So you're welcome. Yeah. What mama don't you know, know it's, it's won't a different hurt her. mindset. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, police knew that Colt often stayed in the woods near his mom's trailer, and in one night they stumbled upon his camp, his belongings, and even his puppy. At this time, he had a black lab puppy. So cute. Reminded me of my, my dog, Maddie, yes. when she was a puppy. Um, they took the puppy as quote-unquote evidence, only to have Colt break into the animal shelter during the night and steal the puppy back. I love that scene in the documentary. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they animated it, him jumping the fence and grabbing the dog and jumping back over the fence yep. with the puppy and them running off together. Adorable. So dope. Right. Yeah, I, I was kind of rooting for him at that point, to be honest. I'm like, you just took his dog just so he would come. But why were you not waiting at the shelter? What a bunch of dumbasses. Seriously. I mean, if you know... Uh, That's the ultimate I mean, trap, right? You know he's going to come back for right. that dog. You know he's coming back for that dog. It's the only friend he's got. And at this point, he'd been on the run for a little while. You know, you know he was getting lonely. Right. He's coming back for that dog, but they just left it there in the... I mean, it doesn't make any it's sense. just another instance of him making the cops look stupid. Yeah, Absolutely. And so during this time, while he's living out in the woods and stuff, he, we have to mention he'd been obsessed with planes from the time he was a small child. Um, yeah. draw, he was known to, in school, draw planes uh, rather than do his schoolwork. Um, he had researched. He, his mom said that at any given time, if a plane was flying over, he would look up and he could tell you what make and model it was, what year it was built, what kind of engine it had. Like He was just one of those aviation nerds early on, even with no formal training on it. He just self-taught himself everything to know about planes and gotten his hands on some manuals. And even at times he would break into people's homes, he would use steal their credit card and use it to order uh, manuals on how to fly how to fly small aircrafts. And right. in the fall of 2008, he would uh, finally make his dream come true of actually flying a plane. He would still, that, that fall, he would steal a Cessna single-engine aircraft from a hangar on Orcas Island in Washington. The plane belonged to Seattle radio personality Bob Rivers. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that until just I now. I didn't know that either. <laughs> you imagine old Bob on the radio the next morning. Some asshole stole my plane. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think he was so obsessed with planes, dude? You know what I think it was? I think it was just the freedom. Oh, for right? sure. Isn't that why most people probably get obsessed with planes? But mm -hmm. I think in his case, he grew up on an island. Right, I mean, how how much more trapped can you feel? And yeah. you're in a place where you have a terrible home life. Everyone's looking for you. Authorities are looking for you. He's like, my only way out of here, my only ticket to freedom is a plane. And yeah. I think he figured that out at a very young age. And that's where that obsession came from. He's like, man, if I just had a plane, I could fly right out of here. It has his childhood out all the makings of being very frustrating to some to a, a child. You know, he, he felt. I feel like he grows up on this island in a trailer, right? But at the same time, like this island is like a destination spot or like a vacation spot. There's all these beautiful vacation homes surrounding him. He's, he's forced to look at all the things he doesn't have all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's why he, yeah. he ultimately having nothing, he just started saying, I'm going to take, I'm going to go into these homes and take whatever I want. And also, like you said, the freedom that you get from an airplane yeah. is like the ultimate rush. Steal, can you imagine stealing a like kid? Even in GTA, it's exciting to steal a plane and fly away with it. <laughs> can you imagine in oh, real life? I know. <laughs> that was something that Harley Davidson, his buddy, said is that he got addicted to adrenaline at a young age. Colton did. Him and Colton, but Colton just couldn't get enough of it. That was his drug of choice was adrenaline, yep. and he always wanted more of it. Yeah. And so uh, Sounds right. Yeah, so uh, Bob Rivers, the radio personality who owned that Cessna, uh, said, quote, The day my plane was stolen, it was a brutal, gusty, windy day. 
Um, and with no formal training, Colton made his fearless first flight over the Cascade Mountain Range through the wind gusts coming in every direction. And this, they actually uh, animated this part in that docu documentary, Fly, Colton Fly, and it was uh, really cool the way they did it. They, basically, he looked terrified, and he's flying in some just awful conditions that even an experienced pilot wouldn't fly in. Um, he ended up flying over those mountains, and he found himself trapped in a whiteout at about 13,000 feet. Um, Bob Friel, who wrote uh, about wrote a book about him as well, said, quote, that must have been a terrifying flight. And as a matter of fact, there's proof that it was because there was actually vomit in the cockpit when the plane was found. Yet miraculously, he made it flying 250 miles from Orcas Island to a field outside of Yakima, Washington, where he crashed. Incredibly, Colton simply walked away from the crash. Um, he was sturdy, as we mentioned. He was a big boy, and he managed to walk away from several plane crashes. He he rarely had a nice, smooth landing with these planes that he would steal. Right. But, I mean, to be fair, just coming out alive with these little single-passenger planes is pretty impressive. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the the places he landed, I mean, it, it seemed like he was just – it seemed like his landing style was a nosedive pull-up. Right. <laughs> right? It's like right before you get to the ground, just pull up. I mean, he, it, it, you get an advantage when you don't uh, care too much about the plane afterwards. Like, as long as you, you can walk away, you can just always go steal another one. But when it's your plane, you, you're trying to land the plane yeah. smoothly for multiple reasons because those things are not cheap to fix any damage on, and then also your life is at stake. But Exactly. Um, so, yeah, so how did this high school dropout learn to fly? Colton apparently taught himself using a flight DVD and flight manuals he'd ordered online with a stolen credit card, as we've mentioned. Uh, the sophisticated graphics on the DVD distributed by a company called Sporties mimic the computerized controls in many modern planes. He also studied the Cessna's manual before the first flight, so he'd went and stolen the manual out of the plane, which is something I'm sure you wouldn't really notice being gone if you've experienced flying that plane many times. You're not relying on the manual right. as much, just kind of like in the glove box, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. um, Quote, even people who were obsessed with flying, loved airplanes, knew everything about airplanes, they would have killed themselves, said Bob Friel. Uh, quote, Colt was able to pull it off, however. So he, he was special in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? He just always seemed like he had he, he had a lot of things. Like luck was on his side as well as a lot of other uh, abilities that he had. He had a lot of physical abilities. He was very smart, physically gifted. Um, well, also, he does, He wasn't considering failure either. Right. And then he also was probably, to be honest, he was probably thinking, if I die in a plane, that's the way I want to go. Yeah. I mean, that's all he ever loved. Mm -hmm. So he's like, if I die in a plane, who gives a shit, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm still a badass that stole a plane, and I crashed it. Yeah. Um, so after he fled that, that downed airplane, the first one that he had flown, he hopped a, fl a freight train to Reno, Nevada, he lied about his age and got a job at a casino where he worked for six months. <laughs> Damn, I'm sure that was easy, though, for him to lie about his age. Right, being 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, um, then on, July or on June 20th, 2009, it became clear that Colt had returned to Washington when a deputy's patrol car was broken into on Kamano Island. His rifle and other equipment were stolen. Also, a fire station on Kamano Island was burglarized, and all that was taken was a fireman's helmet. So he was just basically taunting the local authorities um, yeah. at this point. Uh, and at one point, Colt came home to his mother's trailer and had breakfast with her, uh, which infuriated police when she basically they showed up to just kind of ask if if he had if she had seen Colt recently. And she said, "Yeah, I just yeah. had breakfast with him." <laughs> I love that part <laughs> in the documentary. She's like, and they're like just super pissed. And she's like, "Well, I'm not going to not feed my kid when he comes home." 
Right. Um, which is ironic because that was a lot of what made him what he was is that she didn't feed him enough growing up. Yeah. She's like, well, I can afford to feed him every once in a while. I mean, right. we lived here all the time. It was just ridiculous. You see how big he it's is. It's going to cut into the beer fund <laughs> if he's here all the time That's, eating food. Yeah, right. I mean, I can I can throw him an egg sandwich every you know a couple of days a week, but uh, right. what do I look like over here? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then on uh, September 8th, 2009, the island market on Orcas Island is, was burglarized and an ATM vandalized. Tests later showed that Harris Moore's blood was at the scene. So, yeah, he broke into that that place and just smashed the ATM until it gave him the cash. He had broken into yeah. another business and actually battered a safe, like a, like a legit gun safe, battered it until the yes. door came off and stole, what, three grand out of it or something, the little lady yeah. that... Now, it was a it was a small safe, but still, like, yeah. like you say, I mean, it steel-enforced, like, heavy-duty safe that you would put in the floor and the wall. Mm-hmm. They just had it sitting on the floor. It looked like in a basement, but he beat the shit out of that thing and took the whole door off of it. Yep. Took the whole door off. Yeah. He's a strong kid, man. No doubt. Then on September 11, 2009, Colton resurfaced in a big way. He was back home in Washington State where authorities say he stole a second plane, this time making a dramatic nighttime landing on Orcas Island. Uh, his daring exploits inspired several fan clubs on Facebook and tens of thousands signed up. This is where he starts becoming a cult phenomenon, no pun intended. Quote, I think he loves the media attention, San Juan Island newspaper editor Colleen Armstrong said. He absolutely does monitor the internet, our website, Facebook, Twitter, blogs, you name it. He's reading it. And I, I buy into that. T- I, I Just getting the vibe from him, like I've seen him in some interviews, uh, radio interview, and also he did some uh, YouTube show. It was like a two-and-a-half-hour mm-hmm. conversation. And, and you get the vibe that he he's kind of like some of the serial killers we've studied in the past where they say they don't like the attention, but every all signs point to them loving the attention. He reads all the comments on everyone's stuff on YouTube and – and like he gets upset when they're with the media when they're negative about him when they say that he was just a punk, you know, going around stealing and breaking into stuff. And uh, he thinks that there's more nuance to what he did. He thinks that right. you know he's this this intellect that did what he had to do. Which I, there is some clout to that, but at the same time, like it, it, I, I don't buy one bit that he doesn't care what people think about him. That he that he just yeah. like the media is a, a burden well, to him. I don't buy that at all. Well, let's put it this way. I mean, if he didn't care what people thought about him, then he wouldn't care that people still call him the barefoot bandit. Right. I mean, obviously he cares about this stuff. He cares about everything that's being put out mm-hmm. in the media. And like we said before, he does want to get away from that moniker because, and it does seem a little bit low brow for him now, yeah. I guess, knowing what kind of intelligent man that he's become and the things that he's involved in now, it does seem a little strange, but at the same time, you did it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know it's a stupid media nickname, but at the same time, you did some pretty incredible things to be a child and he, a teenager. And the barefoot bandit thing is just as much his fault. There was times where he would break into businesses and he would draw feet, like yeah. outlines of his feet on the yep. ground and then and put – he wrote in the sand on the beach in uh, the Bahamas, the barefoot yep. bandit was here. Like he, he left his calling card all over the place with barefoot bandit. Maybe he was just a kid then yep. and he doesn't want that – moniker anymore but he earned it <laughs> like you yeah, know he earned it but 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 to be fair as a kid we all do stupid yeah, shit we don't want to be known for i made a bunch of youtube videos when i was like 15 16 i took all that shit down I was oh like, oh, damn it i, I was hoping we could go find stuff. that stuff <laughs> i got Hell excited for no. a second <laughs> that shit is in the archives <laughs> it's gone. never getting in that <laughs> oh that's funny 
Yeah, you know what? I'm glad I didn't have social media as like when I w- it was still. I mean, I guess I had MySpace when I was probably 15, 16, something like that. But yeah, um, I'm glad when I was 10, 11, 12, there wasn't Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff to make myself look like an ass. Dude, I'm glad my parents didn't have it when I was a kid. Right? You don't want to know that stuff? Oh, no. I just don't want them sharing every aspect of my life as a kid. Oh, right. And I feel like they would now. Mm -hmm. I feel like my parents share a lot on Facebook and stuff now. You know, the older generations, they kind of lean more towards Facebook for some reason. I guess because it's been out longer. Facebook's boomer central, baby. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, I'm just glad that I'm not, uh, that I wasn't, that wasn't around when I was a child because I feel like my whole life would be on there. And then when that happens, it's hard for you to, it's hard for you to get out of those little things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, maybe if it's, a, maybe your, your uh, mom takes a picture of you, like, you know, getting pissed off at a, at a ball game or something or whatever. And you're like all pissed off because you lost and you got like this stupid grumpy face on you when you're like eight, nine years old. And then that's on the internet forever. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, remember when you lost it, blah, blah, blah. And then your uncle's That's like the Reese Witherspoon thing. It's hard to, that's what everyone thinks of when they see you. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, it's kind of a, on a much smaller scale, it's kind of what Colton's talking about. You know, his whole, this whole spree was publicized worldwide. And that's, that's the only thing he's known by. And he's so much more than that. And I feel like as parents, sometimes we have to be careful of what we're posting about our kids online because we're we're almost creating who they are, their, this persona for them. And no, it may not be to their close friends. Their close friends and family may know otherwise, but to the, the world wide web, the people who are going to look at, at them for job interviews and look at their profiles and stuff, they're going to see this stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I just think there's more consequences to putting someone's whole life online that we don't know yet because the internet hasn't been around that long. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I don't like posting a whole lot of stuff about my kids either. I don't know. Yeah, let them do that. When they get older, let them create their own online per- persona. That's that what way. group texts and stuff with family are for. You don't. I mean, everyone's yes. defense to posting stuff all all over the internet all the time is like, well, family members get to see it and stuff. It's like, send it Snapchat. to them. Snapchat. Yeah, Snapchat disappears afterwards, I guess. And then, I, Well, I love Snapchat because I can film something and I can only send it to the people I want to know oh, about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the people who I care to know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I want, I would like to show this person this or this that, and I don't have to, I don't have to put it on my Facebook or my Instagram. It's not archived for forever. Anybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right. So the overnight at this time, the legend of Colton Harris Moore went viral, and he became his own cottage industry. People began selling fly Colton fly T-shirts, um, urging him to go for it. There was a lot of people writing songs about Colton. Um, and maybe uh, I don't know if you if you're planning on for the intro for this creating another one or or what, but it there, there's there's some out there. There's plenty of Colton Moore songs. Yeah, I I wanted to write a song from the first time I heard this story. I was like, I gotta write a song about this kid. And then I watched the documentary and saw there's like a million. Mm-hmm. But that didn't discourage me. I don't give a shit. I'll still write a song. It's probably you probably already heard it. Yeah, <laughs> right. We're already past the intro, right? Yep. <laughs> what are we What are we doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then so on September twenty second, two thousand nine, a boat is stolen from Orcas Island. It was now a year and a half since Colton had escaped from the halfway house. He had crossed the border into Canada, allegedly stole two guns, and then crossed back into the United States without anyone stopping him. As he sought planes to steal, he traveled from one tiny airport to another where security was low and the planes were easy picking. So he was basically, he had stolen cars, planes, uh, well, no, stolen cars and boats, and he was just traveling across state to state in stolen cars looking for these little these little private air, air um 
airports with the little Cessnas and stuff and just kind of uh, scouting which ones were the easiest to steal. I was I found right. it amazing that he he just was able to drive state to state in stolen cars and never got pulled over and arrested, you know. Yeah, I found that I found that strange too. The documentary portrayed that as like he was just flying down the road in all these hot rods. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was the case. Uh, I'm sure he was probably still in much more low-profile cars. He may have been still targeting cities. vacation homes, and if you're if you have a car sitting at a vacation home, you're not going to report it stolen. You're not going to know it's stolen, and so that that might have bought him time. Ah, okay, okay, that's true. But I would still try to pick cars that aren't that flashy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be driving like in the documentary. They portrayed him driving like this, like Smokey and the Bandit style, like Trans Am Firebird. And I'm like, no, that's such a fucking head turner. Every cop that you pass is going to be looking at that thing, whether they looking for you or not. You know what I'm saying? At the same time, though, I think he he had so much confidence in his ability to get away one way or another. I almost see yeah. he's stealing airplanes and shit like boats. I could see him being flashy enough to steal a sports car just because, and then like if okay. all goes bad, he he could just pull into the woods and disappear again. You know? Well, yeah. Well, like something he did early on, didn't he dip out of a car? Yeah. The cops took off after him, and he like dipped out of it while it was rolling. Then yep. the car ran into a house. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The, yeah, they thought he was in the car, and he's done fucking in the woods. Yep, dude's gone. Ducked yep. and rolled out of that thing, Grand Theft Auto style. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you said he didn't play video games. This kid lived video games. Bro. Right? He didn't have to. Yeah, that's right. This this case it was uh, how I felt about it in studying it. It gave me, it gave me this feeling where I like wanted to live the the character's life. Like when we when we studied the um, uh, the Hell's Angels, when we read the Hell's Angels book. Think the life yeah. they were living early on into that book, like before you know, you see the dark sides of it. Early on, they made right. it sound so glorious the lifestyle they were living on the road, like no responsibilities, just take going and right. taking whatever you want. I was like, this sounds fucking amazing. Same with yeah. Colt Moore. Like throughout most of it, I'm like, this sounds. I, why? Like I just want to live this life, but at the same time, it's lonely, and you know, you're always looking over your shoulder, and it's just there's no yeah. future in it. Ultimately, you know. No, you you can only go so long. It always goes no, comes tired. to a bad end, you know. There's no retirement in that in that field. <laughs> and yeah, and then also I like waking up in the comfort of my home, walking out on my balcony with a coffee and sitting down, relaxing. It's like I don't want to wake right. up stinky in some fucking crack house, you know, or in right, Colton's your torn cargo shorts. Yeah, fucking, or in Colton's yeah. case in someone else's vacation home week after week. Yeah. Yeah, I know, man. It, it's it's good and bad, right? It's yeah. good and bad. You get, I mean, and that's the reason we we renown these people like this. That's why these people get lifted up as these folk heroes and stuff because they're doing things nobody that, else has the balls to do, right? Or no one else wants to make that sacrifice to do, yep. you know. And and but at the same time, I feel like I feel like he wouldn't have done this if he had a different life, if he had a better life. Yeah. So if he if he had something to lose, right? So mm-hmm. that's the biggest deterrent for from living a life like this. It's like, well, I got too much to lose, right? Like, what if I go to prison and I can't see my children right. or my wife or you know what I mean? They who was going to support them? Yeah, he but really. You're right. He, that was a good point. He had nothing to lose. Like, he had nothing oh, what, to what, lose. what was he going to lose early on when he was a teenager, getting arrested for breaking into homes and stuff? He he had nothing at home. He didn't care if he disappointed his white trash mom in her trailer. Like that was always no. disrespecting him from a young age. Like he really had nothing to lose. Put me in jail and give me, you know, three hots and a cot, so to speak, for a while. And exactly. then when you let me out, I'll go do it again. Like, 
Exactly. So someone, someone like him, it just doesn't seem. It's not as it's not as far fetched. This crazy life that he lived is not mm-hmm. as far fetched because he just did what he had to do. Yeah, his life was already crazy. Exactly. Yeah, and then on September 29th, 2009, a small plane was stolen in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. So he'd made his way up to Idaho. He had spotted a plane on a small airport that he liked. Uh, police linked the theft to a string of crimes across British Columbia, so he had made his way up to Canada uh, as well and then dropped down into Idaho to steal this plane. On October 1st, 2009, a logger discovered the plane uh, that had been stolen in Idaho crashed in a clearing near Granite Falls. Uh, Harris Moore's DNA was found in the plane, and a man tracked... Uh, the, he followed the bare footprints to make a to a makeshift camp in the woods. So he had crashed the plane and then made a, a camp nearby. Um, they had actually he was still in this camp area too. Um, and when the police responded, somebody had shot a, a weapon in their uh, in their. I think he did it more just to scare them off, right? Yeah, just fire a weapon That's just to think. buy yourself some more time to escape. Um, right. And this this is a close, really close call for him where he almost got caught. A, dep, a deputy during the intense manhunt had been shot at, and then they involved the SWAT team and a helicopter from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Uh, however, once again, he got away. You know, they, they tried everything. Again. But he left a bunch of shit. He, lost, he left like 20 grand at that campsite. Thing. Yeah, because he had to just, it, that? they came in quietly in the night and surprised him. Yes. They surprised the shit out of him. He took off, and he ended up, I guess, climbing a tree is what it seemed like in the documentary. That's what Mm -hmm. it made it out. They didn't say that specifically, but that's how they illustrated it, that he basically climbed a tree, put his hood on, and just kind of sat up there until everything was gone, until everybody was gone. Yeah. I just That just baffles me. How do dogs not know he climbed the tree? I I just... this, This getaway had some luck in it. No doubt. For sure. I feel like these dogs would be sitting at the base of this tree barking or something. You know what I mean? If they were that close. They just found his camp. They have all this shit with his sin on it. Right. Like, this this getaway right here just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. He's 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 a ghost, man. They were, they were baffled by how he would escape time and time again. Apparently. Um, and then on December 11th, 2009, federal, pro- federal prosecutors secretly charged Harris Moore with the theft of the Idaho plane. An FBI agent's affidavit says the teen then is the focus of roughly 65 inge- investigations involving the police in two states. This is when it started getting really serious. You get multi- yeah. Because he had started committing these crimes in different states and even up in Canada, you're getting all these right. different agencies involved. you got the FBI involved now, Homeland Security. Yeah, the cops, the cops didn't really think it was funny anymore at this no. point. No, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like one of, the, uh, one of the ladies that actually got burglarized, she made a reference. She said, this is where it crossed over from Robin Hood to uh, Jim Dellinger, right? Right. <laughs> like, and I think she's right. Yeah. This is where it's like, okay, it's not funny anymore. Uh, this needs to stop. Like, yeah. this kid is is stealing some big ticket items and really, really racking up a bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no one feels safe as right. far as like their belongings or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. it's now spanning across the country, and anyone's everyone's got to lock down their shit because Colton could be sneaking onto your farm at night and stealing your stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he was now suspected of at least 65 crimes. He decided to lie low, feeling the pressure. He did not re- reappear until February 2010, where he allegedly stole his fourth plane, this one a $650,000 Cyrus. Uh, authorities say Colton was aloft just 10 minutes, flying from uh, Anacortes, Washington, and back to the now familiar airport in Orcas Island. And once again, authorities were hot on his trail. After getting a tip that Colton was hiding somewhere in Turtleback Mountain, they pounced. 
homeowner High Stickney saw the response firsthand. Quote, I was sleeping in this, in this bed here and I heard a doorbell ring. Stickney recalled, it was about 1.30 or a quarter to two in the morning. So I roll out of bed and there's a helicopter hovering maybe a hundred yards off the window with the lights on shining down. Stickney rushed to, the answer, rushed to answer the door and I see the FBI across the chest of this guy's uniform and I see over his shoulder two or three more police cars, FBI cars, 10 or 12 people milling around in uniforms out there and then I think that's it. The next morning, police found footprints in the mud. The infamous barefoot bandit had done the impossible. Surrounded on all sides, he had escaped again. And Is this the one Blast. where the, the woman had found the <laughs> footprints around her chicken coop too? Yes. He had been eating raw eggs out of the chicken coop for protein. Yes, he snacked a couple raw <laughs> eggs, bro. Got to get that protein when you're on the run. So gangster. You, you know how it is. Oh but yeah, she, she, uh, she had his footprints casted. Oh, that's right. The police eBay. actually told her to do that, right? Yeah, the police told her to cast him. So she casted him, put him on eBay, and then she started getting death threats. Right. <laughs> people were like, you're encouraging this type of behavior. You're encouraging this kid and all this stuff. That was the people that yeah. were bidding on it. They were they were hoping to win the bid. They were just trying to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They're just trying to drive it down. Yeah. But she said uh, she had a good spirit about it, though. She was like, ah, I just took the post down. We'll probably hang him on the chicken coop. That's that's what I would do. Right. That's a badass move right there. Just drill a little hole in him, nail him to the side of the chicken coop. Like, that's cool, man. All he did was take a couple eggs. You know. Yep. That's that's good stuff right there. These chickens funded Colton Harris's Moore's crime spree. Right. <laughs> the, the sustenance oh, man, from our are eggs. They, are they accomplices? Right. Right. <laughs> They're accomplices, aren't they? Those chickens. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, they yeah, fed them. They fed. They ate it embedded, really. Technically, that's right. They need. They need to get those chickens, dude. We need to. We need to figure out something about that. Lock them away. Yeah, damn chickens. Then on uh, February twenty eighth, the burglary is attempted on at Orca's Island Hardware Store. Um, then again on March eighteenth, federal agents and police from multiple jurisdictions scour the west side of Orca's Island. Um, on May 15th, video captures Harris Moore at a marina on Lopez Island. Moments before a boat is stolen, the vessel is later found adrift off Kamano Island. So he's just—he's really kicking in a headgear now. He's—he's he's everywhere and nowhere all at once. Yeah. Um, and this is where the the people up in Washington on Kamano Island and the surrounding areas were just—they'd had enough. Um, it, it was yeah. in that summer of 2010 that the residents of Kamano Island reached a breaking point and gathered to discuss rumors that were frightening everyone. Quote, we want him stopped, a man at the gathering uh, at the gathering told the crowd, quote, most of us want him dead, period. And it was that when you heard the, the crowd gasp, because I think only a few people actually felt that way. Most people were just like, we want him stopped, we want him put away, because yeah, we're tired of like, worrying about our stuff, but we don't necessarily want this kid dead. Right. There's always that one dude that thinks he speaks for everybody, and right. rouse up the crowd, and we're like, whoa, 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 no, we're not with him. We're not right. with him. No, no, no. Let's just arrest the kid. Like, take take it down a little bit there. Yeah, like there's always somebody who's. And he walks away. Ah, this mob blows. (laughs) 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 I'm gonna go rouse some people up at the mall. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So after the man uh, at the gathering said that uh, most of them wanted dead, the crowd actually roared no in response, and there were some people interviewed at this gathering that actually spoke to what kind of person Colton was. Some of them remembered him as a kid. one person said uh, was Ashley Martin, who actually grew up with Colton on Kamano Island. She said, I mean, he is a criminal, but at the same time, there is there is a little part of me that is just feels really bad for him because I've known him, you know, almost my whole life. Uh, he was really smart, very into airplanes. He had a Boeing book, all of the planes that actually made, she told 48 Hours correspondent Peter Van Zant. Um, so she was a classmate who remembered him as a, a young boy who loved animals and airplanes, and he was, quote, a very sweet little kid. 
And so, yeah, there was definitely some people that were still, you know, they wanted him caught, but at the same time, they they didn't want him harmed either. Right. And that was most people. Most people that he ran into yeah. were were actually smitten by how polite he was and how mm-hmm. kind he was, actually. Yeah. You know, I mean, other than... I was I was talking to you before we started recording, and there's a there's a video of a friend on Facebook. It's got about nine thousand views. I can't remember the friend's name, but if you if you search Colton Harris Moore, uh, Colton Harris Moore friend or something like that, you'll see it. It's a guy. He's just filming like right close to his face, and he claims that he was a friend of Colton's uh, growing up all through school and like through middle school and stuff. They were real close, and Colton would come over to their house, and he had an older brother, and to me. It seemed like it, he he said that they fought a lot, like actually physically fought a lot. But to me, from the stories, it sounded like his older brother, this kid's older brother, was the one that kind of instigated these fights. You know how that older that older yeah. brother or older friend can be. You know, it's kind of like, oh, well, why don't you two guys fight and and, and I'll right. judge it or whatever. You know, like there's always that kid that doesn't want to do anything, but he wants to see some shit happen. And I think I think those kids were a little more instigators than even. Colton was comfortable with. At one point or another, I fought most of my best friends growing up. It just, there was just, you're around each other so much and then something goes down and you fight. And most of the time it's like, all right, see you tomorrow, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Or, or, or you just, you get in a fight, you fucking both stomp off and then tomorrow you act like nothing happened. Hey dude, you want to go play some basketball or something? You know, it's just, that's just how it is. And I think they had this relationship, but even though him and Colton were like these rivals. You know, they were both big kids. This guy says that he's he's now six five now. They're about the same size, and uh, he still said, even though we fought and physically came to blows, he said, "I never thought the kid had any bad intentions." He said, "I never thought he would truly hurt me." You know right. what I mean? I never felt that. He's like, I always felt that. No, overall, he wasn't a violent kid. He, he showed was a kind that kind of kid, right? He right. had every chance to vandalize the homes he broke into. He never did that. A lot of times he cleaned up after himself when he would leave. Right. Um, we mentioned the car where he would fill it up and, and clean it before bringing it back. Right. Um, Not making excuses, but just trying to yeah, draw a picture. And, and he never hurt anyone during this entire crime spree. No animals, no people were ever hurt. He fired a gun, yes, uh, when the cops were approaching him at one point, but uh, all signs point to him firing it into the air just to kind of get by himself some more time. Right. He never fired a weapon at, in the direction of the police or anything like that. Right. Um, on May 21st, that summer, we talked about where everyone was getting just tired of him. A Seattle, Seattle man started an anti-Harris Moore website trying to drum up enthusiasm for his arrest. Uh, that same uh, that next week on May 29th, an Everett bounty hunter announced he had joined the hunt. Police are cool with his uh, cool to his involvement. Days later, he meets with a crowd of about 200 people on Kamano Island. Um, so yeah, he, there, there's this whole anti-Colton faction that's stirring up and there, there, there's more heat on him now. You got this bounty hunter who's going to dedicate all of his time to finding Colton. The police still have to worry about other crimes and whatnot. This guy's vowing to do more than the, and he says he can do more that the police can't do certain things, mm-hmm. uh, to try and find him. Then on May 30th, uh, Colton leaves a note and cash at a Raymond Washington veterinarian clinic asking that the money be used to help the animals. So he's trying to trying to uh, kind of pull – I think this is a, a smart move on his part. I think he also did love animals, but at the same time, he's got these groups of people meeting to try and stop him. And I think this is his way of fighting back in a sense to try and get the people that are on his side to fight for him a little bit more by leaving the – 
he signs the note, the Barefoot Bandit, which we mentioned. Yep. He did kind of go by that moniker and played into it at times early and, on. And this is totally something he would do. Being as intelligent as he is and mm-hmm. knowing what kind of you know social ruckus this would drum up, I, I do. I absolutely think that that's why he signed it. Because there's no other reason to sign it. If you just wanted to help He's the trying animals, to get back to the Robin Hood thing as opposed precisely. to... John Dillinger, you know. Precisely, because there's no reason to sign it. If you just wanted to help the animals, just leave the $100 exactly. in a note that says, please help the animals. But you signed it, and then now they yep. know where you were. You know what I mean? At mm-hmm. least within the few hours. Yep. So, it's a big sacrifice. Uh, then on June 1st, a stolen boat from southwest Washington turns up in Oregon along the Columbia River. A car is stolen during a burglary at a small airport in War- uh, Warrenton, Oregon. And then on June 8th, Colt Snubs and Edmonds attorney offer, uh, attorneys offer to help and supposed anonymous donors offer to pay him $50,000 if he surrenders. So he's, he's decided he's going to stay on the run. He doesn't want to turn himself in just yet. Then on June 9th, food and a car are stolen when Colton fails in an attempt to steal a plane in McMin- McMinnville, Oregon. Then on June 10th, so he's just really on a roll right now. A car is stolen at a small airport in Ontario, he Oregon. To, though. These, he's got bounty hunters now. He's got cops. Yeah. He's got the FBI. Everybody's on his tail. So day after day, he's on the move. He's got to yeah, be. It's got to be exhausting place. at this point. Absolutely. Yep. Um, the car that he stole in Ontario, Oregon, is recovered two days later in Boise, Idaho. Officials began warning police that Harris Moore may be on the move east. Then on June 13, the trail picks up in Spearfish, South Dakota, where a car stolen in Wyoming is recovered at a small airport. The thief leaves in another stolen car. So he must not have seen the plane that he wanted in, in that uh, airport in Wyoming. Um, a manhunt is launched after people in Yankton, South Dakota, return home to find a... This is the, the naked story. <laughs> so, so some people return to their... Uh, vacation home to find a, a young naked man in their home, Yankton resident Kelly uh, Neefel, his wife, and their four children were returning home from a family vacation at 3 a.m. Quote, my wife stepped back here and screamed. So I guess this was their normal home, but they had been on vacation. So it was clear to Colton who had probably been watching the home that no one was there. And that's right. why he showed, he chose that house. Um, as his wife uh, went in the door, she saw the naked man standing there um, and, uh, quote, I went in bolting past her, opened the door and right there was a young man naked turning around, running away from me. This is the husband now. And I started to chase him down the stairs, get out of my house, get out of my house. And about right there, I could see that a laser light was pointed at me and he said, stop, I've got a gun. I'll shoot. I'll shoot. And so it's not clear whether he actually was pointing a gun with a laser on it or if he just had a laser, it was dark, I'm assuming. And, you know, maybe this was him hoping the guy wouldn't call his bluff. I don't know. Good chance he had a gun on him, though. Yeah. But, I mean, he 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 wasn't going to use it to kill this guy. I think that was just yeah. something. He just needed to stun him long enough to get out of the house. He knew if he got out of the house, he's home free. Yep. Nobody's going to catch him again. So yep. he just needed to get out. Yeah, he'd done this before when he was younger. He'd been confronted in homes. He, there was one. There was the scene in in the documentary where him and Harley Davidson were confronted into a house that there was police waiting inside the house that they broke into. Yeah. And Colton just, his move was always just to run. Even when they had him at gunpoint telling him to, you know, get down, yeah, they're not gonna put your shoot hands you up, blah, blah, blah. He would just take off and run, either jump up through a window or bolt through a door or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Harley said he had a glass in his hand and he dropped the glass. And before the glass hit the ground, like he was out the door. Like, right, you know, that sounds a little far fetched. That's a beautiful story, but uh, 
I mean, I think it just it, the real story here is that cops are not going to shoot a teenager in the back running away. That's just that's just right. what it is. That's the only reason he got away. It had nothing to do with the glass, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so the the family that came in to see him naked in their home called the police, but Colton was gone. It was a very close call. Uh, but Colton continued his summer run, allegedly stealing cars and breaking into one small airport after another across the Midwest. On June 20th, he faced charges for burglary and car theft in Norfolk, Norfolk Nebraska. Uh, then on June 24th, more, more burglaries and another car theft in Pella, Iowa. June 22nd, a car owned by the city of Atuma, Atuma, Iowa. I'm probably butchering a million town names, people, so I'm sorry <laughs> if you live in one of these, but you know what it is. Right, right. <laughs> Uh, so a car owned in the city of Atuma, Washington, or Iowa is stolen and there are burglaries, including one at a local airport. June 24th, the car taken in Atuma, Iowa is found stuck in the sand near Dallas City, Illinois. Yeah, basically on what July he's doing. Th- I was going to say, basically what he's doing here is he's just stealing a car and driving it until it runs out of gas. And then he's- It seems like he's stealing a car, driving to a new town, checking the, the local airports to see if anybody's pretty lax with their planes, if yeah. they leave keys laying around in one. Um, if he can, if he can steal a plane, that's his goal, I think. But you know, a lot of times it's just not the right situation. And so he steals another car, drives to another town, checks their airport. Yeah. Yep. Cause they keep seeing cars stolen near these airports or on these, you know, from the parking lot of these airports. Right. He knows he's not getting away on the ground. There's only one way out of this. And it's through the air. (laughs) Yep. And that leads to July 3rd, when a car is stolen from Illinois, is recovered, and then a Cessna 400 plane is stolen from a locked hangar in the, at the Monroe County Airport in Bloomington, Indiana. So he found another plane that he liked that uh, he could find the keys to. And um, on July 4th, on the 4th of July, 4th of July, Independence Day, the Cessna stolen in Indiana is found crashed off the coast of Grand Abaco Island in the Bahamas. This is the part that blew my mind. He actually flew... 1,200 miles from Indiana to the Bahamas. I didn't even know. I don't know. I'm a little ignorant to aviation and whatnot, and I'm definitely no nerd when it comes to planes. Um, but I didn't know you could fly a Cessna that far. I just felt like the something like it would either overheat or you would run out of gas or something. like. Right. I did not know you could fly one of those little planes 1,200 miles like well, this that. This was in a one, really one nice little plane, though, right? Yeah. Wasn't this the $650,000 plane right here? This is the one where he, when he landed, it could have actually been repaired. He didn't, he didn't actually destroy this plane. Yeah, I think he just ripped off the landing gear and maybe a few panels, but they, they actually said that this plane could have been repaired and and put back into action. Yeah, yeah. So he flew it to the Bahamas, man. Crazy. That's awesome. Um, I think he'd actually been given this advice by his mother. She'd mentioned something about fly out of the U.S.'s jurisdiction or something. And uh, so he, he took a trip down to the Bahamas, and there was some uh, some people down in the some locals in the Bahamas that had witnessed him circling in this small airplane and, and seen him drop it down. And word actually got out that the, the Barefoot Bandit was on the island. Um, FBI announced that a ten thousand dollar reward and unseals a criminal complaint against Harris Moore. So they're they're speculating that he may be down in the Bahamas. They heard of this plane being crashed down there, um, and of course, on the Bahamas began a series of break-ins once he had landed. Quote, he opened up the window, he went inside, took $150 from the cash register, and took just a T-shirt, said dive shop employee Kristen Jones on uh, on uh, Grand Abaco Island. The police was here, the security camera had called, 
the security company had called. Gary Martin Sawyer said of a break-in at a local gas company, quote, they had the building surrounded. It looked like a Hollywood scene. And at night, he hit the Curly Tails restaurant next to the local marina. Colton was everywhere but nowhere. The Royal Bohemian Police vowed, however, that they they would find him. They would do what the the U.S. was unable to do all these uh, these last few years and actually capture the Barefoot Bandit. Quote, we should be able to take him down, and we have him in custody in the quickest possible time, said Commissioner Hanna. So they were very confident. Um, I think they wanted to, to capture him just to kind of make, make them look good. You know what I mean? And also this $10,000 uh, reward was getting around on that island too. Mm-hmm. That's like, a lot of money. Yeah, that's a lot of money. There's a lot of these people who were like, uh, I'm going to keep my eye out. There's a lot of sailors and fishermen and stuff that were mm-hmm. that were uh, People good. of modest means that a $10,000 reward would, would do a right. lot for. That's right. That's right. And I don't know what their dollar is in regards to our, like in relation to ours. Maybe our dollar is worth a lot more then, you know, so 10000 might go even further for them in the right. Bahamas. right. Um, at that week's end, there was still no sign of Colton, but then he found himself in the biggest jam yet. On Abaco, he'd already allegedly stolen a yacht and escaped to the nearby Bohemian island of Euthoria. Or Le, 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 can you pronounce that one? Eleuthera? 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 Yeah, I like that. Eleuthera. We'll go with that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Those of you that have gone on vacation to the, to the, the Bahamas, let us know. Yeah. Um, or if you if you're listening from there, if you're local, let us know. Colton broke into a bar and allegedly stole some snacks and water and made himself at home, possibly sleeping on a pool table. The next night, Colton was spotted in the water near that bar in a boat he'd apparently stolen. He was talking to some local teens standing on the shore, and this is this is uh, depicted in the documentary. And the way that those teens told it, they they were interviewed. They said that he showed up kind of being cocky and seemingly bored and was looking for a chase didn't you get that vibe that we're saying like he showed up and he was like i'm bored someone needs to chase me tell tell everyone that i am colton moore i'm the barefoot bandit yeah you've heard of him right and all this stuff and they were playing coy like we don't know who you're talking about right but they did of course they're no. trying to get that reward they're trying to get him to come right. to shore to get that reward yep. yeah yeah and so they they uh, jumped on their phone. Well, actually, while Colton was talking to one of them, the other one was off to the side on the phone calling up his buddy who had a boat and was like a local hotshot uh, uh, sailor. Right. And uh, was telling him, hey, this the, the barefoot bandit kid, the white kid from America that's wanted is over here. You should come over and, and get him and get that reward. And so a bunch of teens of the friends of the people that he was talking to jumped in a boat and they started hauling ass over to him. At the same time, Colton got nervous because he saw uh, the other one over there on the phone talking. He's like, why is he on the phone? I'm out of here. And he takes off in his boat and the chase is on. And it's like a Hollywood scene where the boats meet each other in the water, one filled with a bunch of locals that are trying to get that reward and him trying to get away. Yeah, this is so intense, Um, dude. In the dock, they animate this. It's so awesome. Right. It really is a great boat chase. Yeah. Uh, here's a quote from it. Uh, quote, I saw a boat pull up at the end of the dock. So he, he's, he's basically out being chased by these locals and he makes, he puts a move. They interviewed the guy that was driving the other boat, the, the hot shot, you know, boat driver guy, whatever you right. want to call it. Uh, he was supposedly, you know, one of the best at, at commanding a, a boat, uh, on the waters in the Bahamas. And he, I guess Colton put a move on him that actually, allowed him to to get some gain some ground on him and he ended up a few hundred yards away from the guy yeah it and like another they were person riding side by side and maybe he dipped off to one side and threw the wake on him just threw yeah. like the entire wake on their boat and it kind of by the time 
the water was gone, he was too far away, supposedly. Yeah. I don't know. And Colton ended up getting enough ground to flee. He fled to the nearby Harbor Island. And this is a quote from a person that was a security guard on the Ramora Bay Resort where Colton had landed. He said, quote, I saw a boat pull up at the end of the dock. I saw a young man took off uh, took off, off the dock. Um, I see him like he's running fast and he's breathing real hard and excited. Security camera uh, footage captured this moment. And more, another quote from the, the security guard. He said, quote, and he was just running with some object in his hand. And as I kept looking at him, it seemed to be a gun. Asked what he was thinking he saw the, when he saw the gun, Strachan said, uh, when I saw him, I get excited, and he ran toward me, and then I, and he said, they're trying to kill me, and I'm looking like, who is trying to kill you? Colton fled onto the island, and word quickly spread that a boat, uh, spread boat to boat at the marina. American Jordan Sackett was aboard his family's yacht, and everybody was on high alert that he was on the island and that he was around, he said. So he's, he's basically, like we said, put himself in a pickle here. Uh, I don't know if what the those those locals were saying was was true and that he was looking maybe he wanted to get caught at this point he was yeah. feeling just all the pressure from the world around him dude maybe those locals let him go and they just didn't want to maybe they met him and they were like we like this guy Let's just freaking let him go like how does somebody get away in the middle of the ocean when you're an experienced boater and you have all these guys on on board and he's just some kid in a boat that he just stole like i don't I don't think he got away, got away. He he made a move that got him a little bit of space, just enough to where he could land and get off the boat and start running. And that's why right. he was in such a panic running and when that security guard saw him. Right. He was still worried. Because I think that what made him make that move out in the ocean when they were riding side by side was that the guy, the locals actually pointed a gun at him. Yes, yes. Um, and that's, that's what, true. Yeah, so that's why he was frantic running around. He didn't want to shoot anybody, knowing Colton's past. He was never showed violent tendencies. He's never shot at anybody. So he was... He had his gun as a means to just get by him more time as usual. Right. Um, and then so then suddenly while he's on this island frantically running around on this resort, uh, suddenly as the police were searching for the barefoot bandit, um, Sackett, the American that was hanging out around and heard about him being there, uh, saw a boat roar away. Now, in the documentary, though, this Sackett character, the American that was sitting around in his yacht, said that he, they saw a boat slowly drifting away with no lights on, and they yes. found that suspicious, and that's how they thought that maybe that was Colton. Mm-hmm. And, and then in other articles, it says that he was roaring away. But one way or another, they they basically determined that, that was Colton that was trying to get away in a boat again. Um, the cops showed up with Uzis and shotguns, but they had no boat. They asked Sackett, the American, if they could use his. He then asked his daddy, because <laughs> it wasn't his boat, it was his dad's. They were on vacation down there. Nice. And his dad said, I guess, if the local authorities need to use it. So Sackett's driving his dad's boat with the local officials and policemen in it, and they're chasing – there's another boat chase on. They're chasing after Colton yet again Yep. Um, with Jordan Sackett at the wheel and two of his buddies on board. They're having the time of they're, – they're so happy this happened to them. You know what I mean? This, like, oh, this is the dude, story like we helped be? take down the barefoot bandit. Right. It would be exciting. It would be so exciting. Yeah. Man, just in the boat chase. Yeah, uh, so they headed off in pursuit. Colton had a five-minute head start and was heading for the open ocean until he hit a sandbar and ran aground. So he he was unaware of this this sandbar that was out there, which they're just randomly, you know, about where the, the ground comes up to just below the water. Right. Um, police quickly closed in, and at this point, they were basically about 50 feet behind him. Sackett explained, taking, 40, uh, taking 48 hours, the investigation uh, to the same location later on to show them. Colton's final moments of freedom at that point, police shot out the engines on Colton's boat, 
quote, it was crazy. Guns are going off everywhere, Sackett said, and we were all ducking down to make sure we were not getting fired upon. Uh, pretty crazy. So they just start shooting at the boat, man. They didn't give a fuck. No, they didn't care. They didn't care if they hit him. And Colt just basically ducked down in the bottom of the boat and hoped for the best. Yeah. But I think that, that scared the shit out of him. All that gunfire around him, that was the last straw, yeah. I believe. Yeah, and then in July 2010, after two-year odyssey when he was suspected of committing nearly 100 crimes, stealing 11 boats, 14 cars, three guns, and five planes, Colton Harris-Moore was finally arrested, and it took the uh, the police in the Bahamas to finally bring him down. Um, in a video exclusive to 48 Hours, the police questioned Colton, who was now outfitted in a bulletproof vest. They offered him food and water, which he declined, and... Uh, uh, they also uh, asked where he got his gun, the Walther PPK, the same type used by James Bond. Colton said he didn't remember, and all they had, all, they all shared a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so, the next day, when he was taken from, uh, what was it again? Eleuth- Eleuthera. Eleuthera, I think so. Eleuthera to Nassau. Yeah. It's clear that his legend had traveled with him. "Quote: We love you, barefoot bandit." A man in the, a man in the crowd yelled. Standing on the tarmac, Colton did not appear, to, uh, did not disappoint, appearing barefoot beto- before the international media. So he was still barefoot as he was being brought to justice. <laughs> nice. um, he may have attracted the world's attention, but Colton was no, wanted no part of the media circus. It seemed at the time he was ducking his head down. He didn't want to be seen by cameras. Right. Back on Kamano Island, Colton's mother, Pam Kohler, took the news of her son's arrest in stride. Quote, he's safe and I'm happy and I love him and miss him. Yeah, she viewed this thing as it was going to end with Colton being killed, she felt. Right. She's, she was asked at one point when he was still on the run if she could give him a Christmas gift because it was around Christmas when they did this interview with her. Right. What, what would she give him? And she said she would give him a bulletproof vest because yes. she was that concerned that he was going to end up being killed. That Yeah, I mean, that was the best she could hope for. Just being realistic at this point, I think she's that's, – that's where she was at this point. She was prepared for him to be killed. And the fact mm-hmm. that he wasn't, she was like, oh, you arrested him? Okay, great. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, he's he's a minor. How long is he really going to be in there? Yeah. You know what I'm saying it's not going to be his whole life. He didn't kill anybody. He didn't he didn't assault anyone. He's going to be fine. Yeah, and she developed, not long after he was arrested, she developed a terminal illness. Um, and she, it was it, there was not known how much time was left. And it looked as though she was going to die while he was in prison. Mm-hmm. And he was actually starting like a fundraiser to try and get money to have his mother frozen. Yes. So that $250,000 is what it costs to have someone cryogenically frozen, apparently. Um, yeah. And he truly believed in this. And the way he talks about it, I'm like, damn, I might have to look into that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't not I don't not believe in it. I think the the I, brain is very complex and we don't even fully understand it. Right. I could see the whole concept behind freezing a brain. You know, maybe you could put it into some sort of a synthetic body later on. I don't know. I think he was talking about freezing her entire body slowly. It takes it's like over yeah. a process of weeks, slowly bringing the body temperature down to to preserve the body cryogenically. I I don't know. But $250,000 is what he was trying to raise. Just so, I guess, just so he could talk to his mother when he got out. Because he knew she was going to die before he was released. Yeah. Um, But by the time Colton Harris Moore was taken into court a few days later, he was barefoot no more. He'd been deported back to where his exploits began, the Pacific Northwest. And finally, nearly a year after he was brought home, Colton faced his day of reckoning. Quote, he has taken his first step to accept responsibility for his actions. He has pleaded guilty to seven felony charges, said U.S. Attorney Jenny Durkin. 
Those charges include stealing those airplanes, breaking into a bank, and possessing illegal, an illegal firearm. In the end, a plea deal is negotiated involving federal and local authorities. Colton is sentenced to seven years in prison. The, the uh, moral of this story is if you're going to be a criminal, be one that is world-renowned for like your exploits because you can then sell the rights to your story to pay for all of the shit that you did, <laughs> which yeah. is what happens with him. That's what I noticed that as well. And yeah, I was like, yeah. wow, that's kind of cool. He sold the rights and then paid all his debts back and he gets to start over new in my opinion. Yeah, so basically he was uh he ended up selling the rights to his life story to a movie company for a reported 1.3 million and uh of course he'll never see that he'll never get to put that money in his bank because that money was going to be used for restitution to all the victims of his burglaries and thefts and all that. Mm -hmm. Break-ins. Um, the plea agreement makes very clear that he will not profit directly or indirectly, nor will he help anyone else to profit from those crimes. The court appointed a deputy to distribute the funds. During sentencing, Moore addressed the court and U.S. Judge Richard Jones saying that, th that it is, quote, no stretch of the imagination to say that I'm lucky to be alive. Um, and he, this, this was the end. He said that after, the day after he was caught, he knew that he would never commit another crime, but he still had to face the the, the years behind prison, you know, to pay for what he had done. Right. And he ended up, when it was all said and done, he only had to, he still owed like $90,000 to the victims or something, but that movie deal, selling the rights to his story, paid for almost all of it. That's Pretty incredible. Crazy. That's incredible. I mean, you think yeah. just the this, that last plane alone was over half a mil. Right. So, yeah, that's incredible. That he was able to and then all the man hours, all not just all the stuff that he stole and all the damage things that he damaged, yeah. But the man hours, you'd think they the had resources. they had to estimate that how yeah. much how much like police how much overtime did the police get paid to to search for him, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then the bounty hunters and everything else, you know, they didn't yeah. work for free. No. Uh, but he he now has goals of doing public speaking tours to make you know ten grand a pop or whatever. Go speak to colleges and whatnot about what he's done and how to avoid the mistakes he's made. Mm -hmm. um, in December of 2015, Colton began publishing a blog, which has since been taken down. His st his stated intent was to break his longstanding silence and to voice his support for presidential candidate Donald Trump at the time. Um, in July 2016, Moore was released on probation to a halfway house near Seattle. Moore has reportedly secured a job at his defense attorney Seattle law firm doing, quote, low-level clerical work. That was in 2016. He's not doing that job anymore. Right. Um, and then in April of 2019, he had five months remaining on his supervised release, but pleaded with the judge for a shortened sentence. Quote, I have learned from my past. I do not run from it, but instead try to embrace it for the better. Uh, I hope to serve as a model for people who have hard lives and whom feel hopeless. I saw it every day as I was confined, and I have seen it in the world upon release. Um, so, yeah, he was trying to help those who had unfortunate upbringings like him who felt trapped like they had to commit crimes that they ever wanted to get anywhere in life. Right. You see it in some of our lower income, like in, in Baltimore, and you see it, you know, the east side of Chicago where some some of these kids are born into situations where – what are you going to do? You know, if you, if you want to ever get any money, it seems like the only way is to sell drugs or right. whatever. He could be a voice for those. Yeah, absolutely, dude. He really could. I mean, he could be a... But, I mean, he's such a special case, though. I mean, I just don't find him relatable at all. And I don't think a lot of criminals would. I mean, how many people are walking around in an area? Because here's the thing. If you're in Southside Chicago, 
there's there's no vacation homes to rob right next yeah, door. That's like true. there's there's no woods to hide in. It's 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 a totally you know what I mean? It's it's a different game altogether. Right. And then also the average teenager doesn't have a hundred and thirty something IQ. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> I Very don't know. True. I mean, I get what he's trying to do though. Obviously you don't want you don't want kids following in your footsteps when you did the things that in his opinion, I guess, he had to do. You don't want kids to do that. I mean, it's, there's no point. I didn't want my kids to even watch this documentary, even though they could have. It's not a bad documentary. Um, right. Like, your kids could totally watch it. I wouldn't recommend it because they might get a little too inspired. But, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but it yeah. does make it look fun. It, it, it sure does. It makes it look fun. <laughs> it makes it look fun, indeed. Uh, Colton's journey does read like a movie plot, sprinkled with, with rich details like the backpack he carried during his two years on the lam. Inside were keepsakes from a lost childhood, sketches of airplanes, two photos from the fifth grade of a Boy Scouts of America certificate. Um, Bob Friel, who wrote a book about Colton's life, said, the issue here with Colton is not much so much what he did, but what who created this kid. There was physical abuse. There was mental abuse. There was physical neglect. I was having nightmares when I began to research his childhood. I would literally wake up in a sweat thinking about some things Colt went through. His biological father was in and out of the trailer home that Pam was in. And uh, so, yeah, the guy that wrote the book about him was understanding of what created what I think everyone became. And he's really turned everything around, man. If you listen to interviews with him now, yeah, he's... This kid I, don't, is, I, don't, I have no doubts that he's going to be a productive member of society now and be a good voice for those who feel trapped, as we said. Absolutely. But also, to, to give Colt some, uh, you know, I guess a little more credit, I think we've given him enough credit already, but to give, him, to give him credit on something actually positive for society is he used his prison time to reform himself. Mm-hmm. He, didn't, he didn't put that responsibility on the prisons. He, he bought, you know, he had books, he studied, he, got, he did classes— he reformed himself mentally and educated himself to better prepare for his life outside of prison, which I, I think is the idea. But I think most prisoners aren't doing that because they're not trying to get out of that life. That's just part of their life. Being in prison right. in these short stints for these petty criminals in prison is, is part of their life. And that's, that's something that Colton spoke about that kind of intrigued me. I can't remember if that was in like the two-hour interview or what. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was very. Prison intriguing. does give was, you a unique opportunity to shut off all of the things that maybe got you in trouble in the first place, and right. just it, it, kind of like what we're dealing with isolation right now. You can different people are choosing to look at this in different ways. You know, like some people are using it to be productive, to create, to do that thing that they've been wanting to do, but they didn't have time to do. Right. Or, you know, maybe you can't go to the gym, but you can still find ways to work out. You know, there's, it's, it's, it, it brings out who you are even more so. Like I think when you're behind bars, you, you have all the time in the world to study and make yourself a better person. But like you said, most people don't. 100%. And Colt was super worried about wasting time. He always has been. Even yeah. as a child, he was worried about wasting mm-hmm. time. I think that's why he was so bored in school because he was, he was intelligent. He was, that was beneath him, he felt like. He felt like this is a waste of time. Being right. in this household, waste of time. Being on this island, waste of time. You know, he felt like it, he wasn't getting any closer to living and the freedom that he wanted. And I think now he's doing it the right way, though. I think he's uh, he's he's going to eventually obtain that freedom. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, Colton Harris-Moore, The Barefoot Bandit. 
something he could have used as he was uh, out there with no shower for days on end in the woods is some oh my guy, I'm oh, guessing. dude. Yeah, but those scent dogs. But, you know, but you could have rubbed your scent in random places, you know, rub a little oh my guy on this tree, that tree, and then go a different direction. Could do a lot of stuff right. with it, you know. <laughs> oh my guy, if you guys don't know what that is, it's an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben, and aluminum-free organic ingredients. And guys, like we've said many times, there's so many scents to choose from with Oh My Gaia. You're going to find something that you like between vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, which is pretty cool and kind of smells like a campfire. Really nice one in the fall or maybe even in the summer. And we have our very own scent called True Crime Pine. Has our old school uh, podcast logo on it. It's very cool. It's a very it's a sweet pine cinnamony smell to me. I I really like it. I always keep it. It's unisex. It, it can it, yeah. it, it could go either way for sure too. Absolutely, it's definitely a unisex scent. As as are a lot of these scents, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. But because you're a true crime guys listener, you guys can use the word creeper c r e e p e r for 15% off your order at ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com or at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram. That's 15% off, guys. Word creeper. Got nothing to lose. Nothing to lose, right? Give it a shot. Give it a shot. Uh, I want to thank the people who have taken the time this week to go and rate and review on iTunes. I want to say thank you to JoeGrow710 in the U.S. He said, great podcast, longtime listener. Don't know why I haven't reviewed yet, but now you have. That's all that matters. Better late than never. Uh, I want to thank Write a Scorpio uh, in the U.S. Said the banter is great. Thank you. SM Phoenix in Canada said the best true crime in all caps podcast. Appreciate it. Uh, Let's say what's up to S Beach 82. Thank you for the five-star review. Uh, Smoke 3-8-er. Smoke 3-8-er. 88. Uh, my favorite true crime show uh, there in the U.S. Thank you. And Alex B. MSU. It's an amazing podcast. Love the pod. Thank you. Five stars. Appreciate everybody taking the time to go and do that. Um, you're always worthy of a, a thank you in my book for that because it does help the show. Absolutely, guys. It's the best way to help the show for free. It doesn't cost you anything. helps us out a ton. Um, it's a great way to get featured on iTunes. Hey, what were we? Like 160 last time you checked? Yeah, we're actually in the top, we're a top two hundred crime podcast, true crime podcast, guys. <laughs> Finally, we did it. We did it. Yeah, we'll get bumped out of there next week. <laughs> right, that's what it seems like. It's like we get there and then and then we you fall back. I don't know how the algorithm works. I guess it just depends on you know the amount of downloads within a certain time. I don't know. There's a somebody recommended a podcast that we should listen to that discusses the iTunes algorithms. I downloaded it. I just haven't looked I haven't listened to it yet, but it discusses the algorithm of yes. iTunes, right? What is it Apple, called? How it works? Do you remember? Yeah. I I'll look it up. I'll, hold on. I can I have yeah, it in my app I, right now. I really like to look at it. It's uh Darknet it, Darknet Diaries and the episode's called Chartbreakers number 20 the yeah, episode number 27. So I'm going to listen to that, but yeah, supposedly it describes the algorithm or lack thereof in regards to uh, Apple's podcasts, how they rate people and whatnot. It seems to make no sense. Right. Okay. That's interesting. So, I want to thank a couple more people that uh, actually went and donated for stickers this week. I'm going to get more regular about doing that. So Shari McGee, 
in Silver Springs, uh, Silver Spring, Maryland. Thank you. And let's see, someone down in Australia. Uh oh. Uh, Morgan down in Australia. Appreciate sure donated for stickers this week. So thank you guys. Those will be out soon. I'll probably sit down and send those out along yeah. with some gold stickers to the $5 a month creepers on patreon.com slash true crime guys. $2 a month gets you all kinds of bonus content over there. Gets you our once a month uh, Patreon only exclusive episodes. Yep. A lot of times we do the biggest cases, two, three hour episodes on the biggest hitters, you know, Dom or Gacy, all those guys. Yes. And there's probably 30 to 40 of those big hitters on there right now. Maybe more. Mm-hmm. I'm not, not really sure. But uh, there's some there's some great episodes on Patreon, guys. A lot of them are lengthy too. Uh, we don't we don't hold yep. back on the banner on the banter. Sorry, if you mm-hmm. uh, if you're a big fan of the early show banter, uh, Patreon may be for you because we banter this shit out of that stuff. Um, yeah, and then you get random, just kind of random recordings too. Like Michael called me up while yes. I was at work driving around. We mentioned a few times, just random stuff like that, and we'll probably do more of that. Yeah. Um, there's all kinds so. of extra audio files. Sometimes I release the MP3 to the intros. Uh, you know, in downloadable format, you guys can have those, whatever you want to do, use them as ringtones or whatever you want to do. Uh, that stuff's yep. available. And then, uh, Higher Thoughts, which is a show I did for a little while. Uh, there's 35 episodes of Higher Thoughts that'll be on Patreon for ever, as long as I'm concerned. Um, it's just a whole catalog there. And who knows, maybe we'll do a Higher Thoughts every now and then. Maybe we'll break that out. But, um, but for now, that show is ended to uh, be taking place by something bigger and greater, in my opinion, which Hell is yeah. which is uh, Strange and Unexplained, which is our other prod- podcast that is that is on a pre-flat, pre pre free platform. Do I do I get paid to talk? This is this is weird. <laughs> uh, but on the free platform as well as Patreon, and that's on patreoncom slash podcast. You guys can get early releases there as well as an, as uh, other audio content, episodes that I deem that are too short, or maybe there's just not enough info to do a full episode, I'll go ahead and finish those up and release those on Patreon. I think there's one of those on there now. And uh, new episodes will be released every Monday, though, on the, on the free platform. I can't say that phrase. I don't know what's going on with me. But new episodes, strange and unexplained, every Monday on the free platform. True Crime Guys, every Wednesday. If it's not on a Wednesday, then guess what? It's a Patreon episode, peeps. So that's why we're not there. Right? Great, great show. Uh, if you can't get enough of Michael, you get another dose of him on that show. And I even play a small role in it now. So oh, dude, the, definitely the, worth checking out dude, Strange and Unexplained. Your debut is today on 420. Your de- the, the, the new uh, Strange and Unexplained dropped today on Aaron Gillern. Yes. Guys, Perfect. go check that out. Aaron Gillern, an amazing case. There's a documentary called Gone on a, yep. a gentleman who, he's an American, he's from New York. He went to Austria uh, to work. He loved Austria, Vienna, Austria, and he disappears. And it is a strange case. Reminds me a lot of Johnny Gosh. If you guys know anything yeah. about Johnny Gosh and the underworld there, the police cover-ups, um, I, I'm super excited about this case. Like, I really am. I, I worked very hard on this episode, and Lauren debuted his segment on this episode, which I'm also very excited about. So... You guys check that out. It's another way that you can support us and our uh, podcasting endeavors. All right. Yeah, buddy. That's my spiel. All right, guys. Well, hope you enjoyed this 420 special. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, all right. So we'll see you next week. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk.
I'll get you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk. Get you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming.